This is the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel with Neil Fitzmorris, bringing you all the big news and even bigger views on Liverpool FC. Uh, hello and welcome to uh, another edition of Poetry in Motion with me, Neil Fitz. How are we doing? Wherever you're listening to this, walking the dogs on the field, whatever you're doing, a nice, nice day today. Uh, thank you for downloading this and every other pod, of course. In the blood red umbrella, uh, Alina Rouge, all the others as well. Um, thank you once again for joining us. We need your support, and uh, it's really, really appreciated. Um, lots to talk about. Obviously, this is the first podcast I've done since. Oh well, we were on the quad. Um, we had two to go to win the quad, and we had a, a wonderful, uh, never to be forgotten night in Paris to look forward to. Forgotten, never to be forgotten for all the wrong reasons, as it happens. But we'll get to that. Um, joined today by Pat Smith, returning. How are you, Pat? Yeah, very good, Fitzy. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, great to be back on another Poetry in Motion. It's been a while since I've done the last one, but yeah, buzzing to react to last season and all things about Paris and get stuck into some transfer rumours as hopefully Liverpool go into the market for someone new up front. Absolutely we are, mate. You've had plenty of books put up since the last time you were on here. Look at that now. <laughs> yes, I've been reading up on all Liverpool's transfer targets. Oh, well, you have to keep the books on that one. Um, and joining us as well, of course, uh, Coatsy96, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How, um, how is, is it Charlotte your first name? It is, yeah. It is. It's yeah, I'm good, good. Excited to make my debut on um, on this one. So Absolutely. I'm ready to get going. How long have you been uh, at the Echo then? Oh, just over six months now, coming up for seven months. Enjoying it? Nicely. Yeah, yeah, I'm loving it. Oh, excellent. Well, you won't have much to talk about following Liverpool. You don't get up too much these days, do you? <laughs> Not much of a side, as we know. All right, listen, let's let's get cracking with it. Obviously, um, an amazing season uh, came to an end on the very last day. We took them to the last minutes of a football match. Um, Villa did all they could, obviously. But City, you know, I said before the games, I said after City got knocked out of Real Madrid, Pat, that if they could show the strength of mind to come away from that um, Real Madrid defeat and, and have the strength of character to win the league, they deserve it. So I've got no... Problems with that one, mate. It was an incredible season and we just got pipped at the post. Yeah, exactly. The amazing season. You know, to be fair to City, they did very well to bounce back from that defeat because that is going to be a massive, massive blow. To I think it's going to be more of a blow for the Champions League next season because that's going to creep into their mind. But then we've also got to look at it from the point of view that, you know, Real were just brilliant and they had these fluky moments. You know, we saw it ourselves. I'm sure we're going to move on to talk about the final. But the last day, yeah, it was painful because I mean I think most of us including myself had resigned to the fact we probably weren't going to win the league after the Spurs draw at home I think that was the one for me where you know anything after that would have been a bonus but you know it's going to be three cups there on for me but the way it happened on the last day was so painful with Villa being 2-0 up and Gerard you know it just seemed too perfect to be true because of course we were struggling at home against Wolves that's the important thing to remember and um the elation on Salah's face when he scored and all the players checking you know what's the score what's the score and then finding out that City had actually called those goals back was just heartbreaking for everyone. But, you know, it's important to remember it's an amazing season. You know, 63 games in all competitions with only four losses, 92 points on the table, two cups, the Champions League final. We really can't complain, can we? It's probably the best Liverpool team that ever has been. And it's just so exciting going into next season because we might even build on that. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And just towards the end... And it was the, it was the combination, Charlotte, wasn't it? It was it was we'd all been saying, you know, it's Villa, it's Stevie, it's Coutinho, and and they all came into into play at one point, didn't they? And I think I think uh, as Pat just said, 
it was coming from 14 points behind on it and that charge and and we just thought you know what I mean I think it wasn't until the last day we all kind of went yeah I mean it's Villa they're not going to do too much but when I looked at me watching when I looked at me phone pinging and saw Coutinho 2-0 it was day to dream time wasn't it oh definitely I remember I was I was flicking through on Sky like putting City on putting Liverpool back on because being frustrated at the Liverpool game watching it and just obviously being on one for so long and then watching Villa and it popping up, the, the one nil up and then all of a sudden the 2 nil up and then you're thinking, all right, well, Liverpool score, they're going to win the league. And then I think I said, when when City scored one, I said, oh, they'll win this now because you just knew, you just knew it was going to happen. And like I, I was resigned. I mean, I remember being on a podcast in January, writing the league off, I said, said title race is done because... It were effectively. I think at the point at that time, I think we were ten points behind when I said that. And I know leads have been cut like that before, but not to this Man City team. Um, and that's the difference. That's that's what Liverpool are up against. If it weren't for this City team, Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp, they'd have three Premier League titles to the name. Um, so it's just sod's law, really, that this this great Liverpool team is up against this great Manchester City team. Um, but yeah, it's as fans, you can't you can't really complain because 14 points behind and then lose out on the last day by a point, being on, went on such a, a winning run, drawn at the Etihad, coming from behind twice, um, and then the season that it's been, it's it's just what it's what you dream of. And obviously it's it ended on a bit of a sour note with losing the Premier League and, well, not losing the Premier League, but not winning the Premier League. And then losing in the final in Paris and all the, the afters that came with that, it's it's just a shame it ended in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll get to that now because, I mean, ridiculously, no one's spoken about the final on the pitch at all since. Probably not a bad thing because, you know, it was one of those games, wasn't it, where for me, very, very frustrating part, I was watching it at home. And my brothers were with me as well. And they were saying, look, we're, we're, you know, we're dominating. They're not getting a touch. And I was saying, yeah, but then that, that's, well, that's how they're playing. That's what Real Madrid do. They, they let they go, go on then, try and blow the house down, huff and puff, you know. And and we did huff and puff, didn't we? And it was, you know, Courtois had a blind deck. Yeah, he had a worldie that was fantastic. You can't deny him that. We had nine shots, apparently. And, and, and he tips one from Mane onto the post. But ultimately, they, they, they kind of... They had the measure of us, didn't they? And that, that that was the problem with it. And uh, systematic of what happened, sort of second half of the season, really. Wasn't it a really um, frustrating front three that that just couldn't just couldn't put enough pressure on on and a very a very tired Salah and one that in the end towards the end of the season I kind of ran out of excuses for him because I've been backing him to the hilt and I always will. But I I kept saying this is the game he's going to do it. This is the game he's going to do it. The game never really came, Pat, did it? I mean, it's exactly that, Fitz. You know, we did a debrief show after every game on the Bud Red YouTube channel and I was really struggling for questions to ask Theo from the stadium because, you know, it was such a difficult, frustrating one to analyse because it was so simple. And the problem we've seen the second half of this season, Liverpool and teams coming and play against us, particularly at Anfield, I know it's a Champions League final, it's different. You know, sit back, two banks of four, try and break the house down. And when you're playing against probably one of the greatest midfields of all time, if not the greatest midfield, and some fantastic defenders. You know, Alaba and Militao, I think, deserve more credit than Courtois because they were just absolutely rock solid the whole night. 
on Courtois as well. I'm not sure it was actually that amazing of a display of controversy. I know he had like nine saves, but the only one that was a worldly save was the one on Salah, which, you know, I don't know how that didn't go in. But every other save he made, I think, if he doesn't make it, it's a keeper's fault and if it's a goal. And, you know, we're forcing chances, but we didn't really have anything clear cut, which is a cause for concern. And does that stem from midfield creativity or does it stem from the attackers maybe running out of steam? Because, you know, Mo Salah gutted to miss out on the Premier League player of the year, but let's be honest, completely different player this side of the season. And, you know, fair play to Kevin De Bruyne, an amazing talent. But you have to remember, Salah's played a lot of games. You know, you've got the 63 games this season, not sure how many he's played, but I'd imagine it'd be in the 50s, at least high 50s maybe. Combined with Egypt's AFCON run going to the final, missing out on that, missing out on World Cup qualification with Egypt, that's a massive toll both physically and mentally on in this season. But yeah, the game itself, you know, Real Madrid need that one chance. They took it. That's the way it goes sometimes. It's the same with the Spurs game at Anfield as well. You know, they had their one chance. They took it. They parked the bus with two banks of four, a bank of five and a bank of four. And I'm not sure where Liverpool go from here because we clearly need to sign someone or change something next season in those games. I think we're missing, you know, we're talking off air about Gini and someone who from midfield can run forward and score goals. I think we are missing that because at times, like in the Champions League final, you're finding the front three just getting really isolated because once they're marked and there's you know, a spare defender, another bank of four in front of them, we're really trying to find it difficult to uh, penetrate those lines. And, you know, someone who could maybe burst forward and get a goal in a big game like that is perhaps what we're needing. Poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. Well, one of them people that we had, uh, Charlotte, was... Uh was Naby Keita, bought for that specific reason, one he darted forwards, very advanced midfield player who can who can belt a ball. When that ball came out to him at the edge of the box and he and he did that, I swear I nearly dived through the television and strangled him. It was for a professional footballer to try and hit a ball like that, honest to God, I think it landed in our back garden. <laughs> so frustrating because that just, I mean, he had time to just touch that and steady himself, didn't he? And it, it just sort of, it just sort of brought home the fact that there just was that lack of world-class quality wasn't on the end of the ball when, when we needed him. Diaz was a bit isolated. He didn't seem to cut in too much. When Salah did cut in, which he hadn't really been doing all season, you know, you keep on you keep on, on his right foot. He's nowhere near as dangerous. And uh, and when he did cut inside, I mean, the Courtois, the Courtois uh, save off his, God blimey, it was off his forearm, wasn't it? And an inch higher and that's spinning in, isn't it? But he didn't do that enough, did he, Charlotte? Um, 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 uh, Salah didn't. Uh, Mane was, you know, has had that on and off game. Thankfully, the second half of the season, Mane was quality for us and, 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 and dragged us through it. But we were just lacking, like Pat says, maybe that Fabinho was brilliant, but doesn't get forward as much. I had someone once tell me that Jürgen Klopp doesn't like shots from outside the box. He doesn't like you pinging them. He, he feels it's a wasted chance to try and get closer to the goal. If that's the case, but I mean, we need to start taking a few chances outside the box, don't we? If anything, it's how you draw two banks of four out, isn't it? You have to try and give them something outside the box to worry about, otherwise they're just going to decamp. Right, yeah, exactly. Like, how many times did we see Steven Gerrard do that just when Liverpool was struggling, just absolutely smash one in from 25 yards, whatever? It's it's how sometimes it's just, I think I, I remember I remember thinking during the game, like, Liverpool aren't going to score here unless it's a worldie and no one just... No one had it. No one had had a go. And like you mentioned, Kater fell perfectly to him on the edge of the box. And I don't know. Don't know. It's probably still going now. But it were 
it was just one of those moments where hands on head and you're just thinking basically sums up his Liverpool career in a way like expecting so much and just didn't get the end result um but yeah yeah I think it does it does underline the fact that Liverpool do need they need a midfielder in there who can make those game-changing moments because Thiago is Thiago he's, he's exceptional on the ball and he controls the play his passes are brilliant but he's not he's not a goal scorer he's not he has a specific skill set and he, he's great at that and he's great for the side and like I said Fabinho he doesn't he doesn't get forward it's not his job so I feel that that right sided of the three in the middle is, is something that can be improved on um like you look at you look at City's midfield and they've got it's just goals everywhere Bernardo Silva you know we're not exactly massively keen on him but great player and then Kevin De Bruyne as well and like everything's been said about him he's fantastic um and it's just goals it's come it's goals everywhere whereas Liverpool are set up differently in a way that all their goals kind of come from the front the front three and when like the final Salah was tired Mane was I mean on another day shot at a nestled in the bottom corner and we could have been talking about a different result but yeah, he wasn't at his best. Diaz was isolated. Carvajal played him well. Um, so it's one of those where you, you, you're looking elsewhere, um, like through the team, and there just there wasn't. There's not really someone in that midfield you can look at and think, right, he's he's a game winner. Um, it's just not. It's not how it is, and I feel like it's what Liverpool needs to try and address this summer, next summer, if, if that's more attainable. Yeah, you've just got to have the hope. I mean, let's face it, they know what they're doing, don't they? They've, they've made some great signs. You've got to hope that somewhere around there in that board and they've got people earmarked and Jürgen Klopp's got people earmarked. Just on the enigma of Salah, it's remarkable, isn't it? 51 games this season in all competitions and 31 goals. I mean, the stats, his stats are phenomenal and yet he kind of took the second half of the season off, didn't he? He, he did all the damage earlier on and then, you know, I mean, you mentioned AFCON party. Every game he played in it went to 120 minutes. So, so um, fitness-wise, there's no doubt in that. But it, it, it just felt towards the end of the season for me for Liverpool, there was a fatigue in, in everyone. There was that, the snap and the passes wasn't quite there. They were losing possession, turning over the ball. Unfortunate that Trent is a remarkable defender going forward and he's a remarkable right-back, but was caught out for their goal, wasn't he? And he was caught out like he was against City when Jesus came up from behind him. Can be caught out over his shoulder, doesn't really look behind. I don't know quite what happened there, but that sh that goal shouldn't have gone in from Real Madrid. That shouldn't have been allowed from Robertson's I mean, bad past. It shouldn't have been allowed to get over the shoulder of, of uh, and past um, Trent, should it? I mean, to be fair to Trent, I think the room of him being somewhat weaker in defence is just complete nonsense to me. Because I think the way we play means that the fullbacks are going to have space in behind them. You know, I think there's, you're never going to avoid that threat on the counter-attack, especially when you've got someone as good as Vinicius Junior, who's you know, been doing that amazingly all season for Real. And yeah, I mean, it's just one chance. Maybe Trent could have been there, but we're chasing that goal and that's the way we play. I think it's to be expected with this style that we enforce under Jurgen Klopp. But yeah, the legs did go, didn't they? And I think it's the main problem where Thiago and Fabinho, two amazing midfielders, two of the best in the world, but they're not runners, you know, Fabinho is a defensive midfielder, very good at what he does. Thiago is probably, well, in my opinion, the best passer and controller of the ball I've probably seen in the past five years. He's absolutely remarkable, but he's not a runner. Klopp's turned him into a runner, and clearly when that happens, 
your legs are going to go, combined with injury issues we've got. And it's that third midfield spot is the problem for me. You know, Naby Keita, in my opinion, has had a good season. It's the best I've seen him play. But is he good enough to be a Premier League winning part of a, part of a Premier League winning midfield three? I'm not entirely sure he's the man. I love Jordan Henderson as well, but I'm not sure if we want to chase this City team who now, you know, going to get even stronger with Erling Haaland. They're going to be ridiculously hard to beat now because, you know, they've sorted their problem out. And I think our problem, similarly to their lack of a striker, is that lack of a third midfielder. It needs to be someone massive. You know, I would have liked to have seen a sign Orient Chiumeni from Monaco. He's one that really looks good. But it's like Real are going <laughs> to strengthen their midfield even more, which I'm not sure how they're going to rotate between, you know, Cruz, Modric, Casemiro, even Valverde, who played out on the right, so centre mid. Amazing game against Robertson. You know, Robbo seems slow compared to him, which is something you don't see very often. But yeah, I think. We definitely need to strengthen. I know we say this every summer, it does get a bit lethargic talking about, you know, oh, Liverpool need to sign some players. But I think now is really the time to. Particularly now we can use five subs in the Prem. So, you know, it's even more enticing for potential signings to come in because they are going to get game time. And particularly, you know, Thiago, what's he, 31, 32? He's not going to be around forever. We're definitely going to need midfield reinforcements, Fitzy, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We definitely are. And and, and we're going to need another striker because if the rumours about Mane uh, are true, then, I mean, he's... Mane's the kind of person who t- he takes two players to replace him. He does. He, he's 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 brilliant at everything he does. He's fast. He's strong. He works hard for the team. He's got a great left foot, great right foot, great near. I mean, what can you say about him? He, he's a stunner. And if he is going to go, and all this strange kind of you know the Senegalese people, 70 percent want me to leave. I I don't know whether that's a bit of a Mickey take that, that's getting misconstrued. And it's him saying I make my decisions, not them. So you know they're saying I'm going. So apparently I'm going. I don't know. We'll get back to that, though, Charlotte. We'll have a good chat about that. First of all, we can't go any further without talking about what happened outside of what of what happened on the pitch um, in Paris. Horrendous scenes. Kids. The most heartbreaking for me is the, is the, the scenes of kids with, with their families in tears, whether that's because they've been tear-gassed by cowards or whether because they're just terrified. Supposed to be the best day of their lives, a day supporting an incredible club that will live in their memory for all the wrong reasons. I mean, thank God. Thank God for a lot of social media. Thank God for for the access to cameras we have now and different opinions, because I think it was very, very clear from the word go, Charlotte, that this was getting hung very, very neatly on Liverpool's coat rack of blame, just uh, as it was in 89. I mean, very little differences and... Thankfully, people saw very, very quickly the lies that were starting to get spun, the narrative that was start, starting to get spun against us, and and um, and this can't be this can't be held like this. This has to be held to account, doesn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. When when watching the game and you're expecting the game to kick off shortly, and then you could the BT cameras were panning around to the Liverpool end, and it were fifty percent full, and you're wondering, hang on a minute, something's not right there because that's not a Liverpool end in, in any game, never mind a Champions League final. So, you know something's not right um, just by looking at that. And then obviously, the the message that UEFA put up inside the stadium about late arrivals being being the problem. So, it's just, you, if you know Liverpool fans, you know that's not the case. So, obviously, like I said, thank God for social media because things, lies... Lies can't they can't they can't get away with them because there's just accounts there's accounts that uh, from people who are there and pictures get out videos get out and lies can't be upheld so 
people knew like straight away what was happening and I remember watch I remember scrolling through Twitter trying to find out what was happening and I'm and I'm thinking what, what's happening everywhere like people there's reports of tear gas and all this sort of stuff and there were no no videos of, of Liverpool fans causing problems so it was like well what why is this happening um and then obviously like the game kicks off and it felt weird it felt weird watching it because it was like all of a sudden they'd rushed it through they'd got that um opening ceremony done and then the Liverpool fans they, they were in they were in, the, they were in the ground and it was still it was it was just strange because of everything that you'd read online about what happened and the pictures that you'd seen um and then this game this massive game happens and then all of a sudden you're hearing about everything that happens after the game which hasn't really been well documented it's all about being it's all about <clears throat> what happened at the start of the match and the trouble getting into the stadium rather than I've, I've read so many things about fans who, who were walking to the train stations and and things like that and being being attacked by local youths and, and robbed and um kids out the elderly the, them all them being mugged and it's just it's horrendous to read and reading things like some kids don't even want to go to Anfield because they're just scarred by what by what's happened in Paris on a day that is meant to be one of the one of the best days of your life you're watching your team in the Champions League final and yet they lost it happens they're losing more finals and they'll win more finals but it's not meant to it's not meant to go that way and luckily I know it was it was awful what happened and but luckily nothing worse came of it and we're, we're very fortunate for that because it's something worse could have come of it. Very, very, very easily. If it wasn't for the Liverpool fans knowing danger when they smell it um, and avoiding it as best as they possibly could. In 89, we didn't even have mobile phones. We never had a chance. By the time we got back to Liverpool, we were the culprits, end of. Because the media move a lot faster than cars and trains and God knows what else. Uh, watching it on BT, I saw Jake Humphreys, who's one of the producers, uh, one of the presenters, and somebody had come up to him with tear gas and, and, and I was trying to explain to him what was going on. Of course, don't forget, those cameras are, are French television. They're not English television, so we're not going to get privy to anything that the, the French director and producers don't want us to see. Um, but the scenes of, 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 of cars, police vans being backed up to about 90, 90 centimetres, something but it was one body going sideways could get through it. You know, I went. I was at Athens when three and a half thousand people were tear gassed by the police in Athens. They did the same thing. They just drove police trucks in front of the gates and said no more, and then tear gassed everyone. I sat in the crowd in Athens and I looked across at the majority where the Liverpool fans were, and I could see that there was no room, and people were pouring in. There was no room, and, and I said after Athens, Athens, that if if, if it carries on in that way, we are going to have another uh, Hillsborough scenario. We are going to have another. Fatality, mass fatality in a football match. Surely, Pat, there's a duty of care from the city and, and the stadium they're providing this football match. From UEFA, who time and time again let us down. Time and time again want the money ahead of anything else. Give 19,800 tickets to both sets of fans and 30 to corporate. And only the corporate and sponsors have been kicking off as well. That's the only, probably the only reason we've got an apology. A wet, late apology. Um, in the first place, but how many times, Pat, is this going to happen? How, 
there has to be a duty of care between the police of the city that this the, the match is getting put in um, and UEFA to make sure that this is a, 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 a game to remember and a day to remember for all the right reasons, not the wrong ones, mate. Well, exactly that. You know, I think the main thing here is it's just so terribly organised, terribly planned. And their excuse they'll use is that they only found that they were hosting it, you know, pretty late on in the season. They didn't have the time to prepare. But to me, that's just a complete utter nonsense. I think the main reason this stems from is they've just had a new election in France. Macron's back in for another term and he promised big you know, public service and public sector reform. So much stronger policing. And I think that was on show because, you know, they saw this as an opportunity to show how good the French police are. Or we've got some English hooligans coming over. We're going to deal with them. I think that's the approach they took, to be honest. And, you know, you see the sport minister, I forget her name, go on TV and outwardly lying for weeks after the final. You know, there's evidence built up on social media. That's the thing here. You know, you compared it to the you know, dreadful themes in 89. But now we've got the phone footage of fans outside the stadium. You know, Dan Austin as well. I'm going to give him another shout out because he's been amazing on social media and going on French TV. And, you know, keeping it in the French media is so important. He's doing a brilliant job of that. But the evidence is clear to see and they're still going on TV and lying and it still took you away for two weeks to apologise and that was only after Real Madrid put a statement out. And even then, UEFA have just said they're doing an internal investigation, I think, aren't they? Which I wonder what that's going to find after previous UEFA and FIFA investigations. You know, The outcome of that's just going to be in support of them. I think we need an actual independent investigation into this because it could have been a really, really serious situation and you know, it's, I dread to think what could happen from here. If you know they get away with this, what could happen at the next final? Poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. Well, the thing is, Charlotte, they did it to Liverpool, and if there's one thing we know about the city, the fans, the club, is that we don't forget, and we will not let this lie. And the spirits of Shankly won't let it lie. I know they won't. And everyone affiliated with the club and the fans will not let this go away. The French, the French public are up in arms. Um, they know they're lying. The French public know that the government's are lying. The French public are putting them under a lot of scrutiny and a lot of pressure. Um, and we'll only add to it because this this can't happen. This can't happen anymore. Liverpool, you know. And the thing is as well. When the, the interior minister, uh, Damian, whatever his name is, um, starts saying things like, you know, we knew, we knew what Liverpool were like after what they did in the Euro finals. I mean, that's, that is ineptitude at the highest level, isn't it? The fact that they thought that any English fans would have been from Liverpool is horrendous. And then you've got to read stuff on social media from the very fans that give you that reputation. You know, the French police didn't strong-arm Liverpool fans because of Liverpool's reputation as being hooligans. They did it because we're English and they did it because of the English reputation. Because England fans can't go away to watch a football match without smashing up a restaurant on the way home. And that's the problem. That with, with a police force that had, had only one intention that day, and that was to break up or cause violence. Um, it has to stop. It, it has to stop, Charlotte. And, and um, there has to be stringent rules put in before any kind of um, massive event like that is, is done again. Because... We're heading down that road again. We're heading down that road of if they get away with it, that will be seen as the norm to be able to back people into funnel situations. And it's simple, isn't it? You know, you got when's the last time you saw anything like that at a theme park? I know you have mass fans coming all at once, but you filter it. You do a series of, filter, of filtration to get those fans down to a, a level, a volume that you can control. You put in barriers that are strong barriers that are connected to the floor, that click in and out. 
You can take them baddies away if you want flat ground. But if you want them in, you put a barrier snake system in. There are ways of doing this so that when you get to the to the to the uh, to the turnstiles or the ticket machines, you can let them in one at a time. Instead of deciding when them ticket machines break that everyone's got false tickets, everyone's got fake tickets. We all know now players gave tickets to their friends who couldn't get in. It's an absolute disgrace. It makes me so angry. And uh, they've got another thing coming, the French, if they think we're going to let it go. Well, yeah, they've dealt with the wrong club, really. If I mean, obviously, you don't want this to happen to any club. And it's awful reading things on social media when, when it was happening and rival fans like pinning it all on Liverpool just because of what people have, just because of what, what's been said um, initially. So it's not nice to read and things now are still being said and they always will be. I'm sure it's just narrow-minded people will always be like that. But yeah, they've in terms of um, what happened, it, it's happened. They've done it to the wrong club, really, because Liverpool won't let it lie. The people of Liverpool won't let it lie. So it's it's one of them where when the Champions League comes around next season, what will Liverpool fans do? I've seen on social media a poll of um, will they boycott the first game of the of the Champions League campaign? I mean. Can't really see it because they're all all in support of the team and Liverpool team playing in an empty stadium. Um, I don't know; it's hard. It's hard to imagine. But if if that's what needs to be done, then I'm sure the Liverpool fans will do it. Um, so yeah, it's it's just been done to the wrong to the wrong club, basically. Yeah, they'll regret it. It's afterwards as well when you hear the stories of this. This gauntlet that people had to run to get safely back to where they were because the police were nowhere to be seen. In Kiev, after the final whistle in Kiev, me and my mate were walking out and we noticed these little pockets of gangs coming in. And they, had, they had these like little rucksacks and they had they had cut down um, scaffolding poles, scaffolding tubes. And they were starting to, they were starting to um, sort of uh, filter themselves with the Liverpool fans coming out of the grounds and they were, they were shouting little little things to people and trying to get people to come over to where they were. So we could see it happening. But in a flash, these um, Ukrainian, they were like a Ukrainian SWAT teams. They were like um, special forces. They come flying in in these, in these, uh, like these police trucks. And then it seemed to disperse. Um, but there was none of that. I mean, where, where the stadium was in Paris is, is, a, is, is in an area that is a rundown. They are, they are poverty stricken. Uh, a lot of immigrants, poverty stricken in 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 um, in like ghettos there. Now you don't have to be a genius to work out as a as anyone in the police force over there that that they are going to see a hundred thousand supporters from both clubs, of course, um, turning up with loads of euros, loads of euros, loads of money to have a bevy, loads of money to have fun, mobile phones, jewelry. I mean, to these people living in these slum areas of Paris. Outside of Paris, this is an absolute cakewalk, isn't it? They're going to go in, they're going to get hold of them, they're going to mug them, they're going to take what they can, they're going to get off. And it was the, you know, assaulting get women as well, grabbing older women, grabbing older mothers in front of the kids. This was bar what what went on was barbaric, um, and and it, it, it simply cannot be allowed to go on again. I don't know what I don't know how you even begin to because. The corruption runs right through. It's systemic. It runs right through UEFA. UEFA have been getting away with this for years. Uh, Heisel was an absolute disgrace. The the ticket allocation, the fan segregation, the 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 the, the condition of the football grounds, 
lumps of concrete just smashed up off the floor the, the, where the terraces were crumbling. You know, this goes back to then. It goes back to, to, to that was 85. It goes back decades and nothing is being done to improve it. While all the time UEFA are just clearing up the profits. So it's a big responsibility on the owners of Liverpool Football Club as well, FSG. You know, they're American. They know the laws, the legal system inside out in America. Boy, they can take you to cleaners over, over the over your cleaning. So um, let's hope that they have um, the foresight to, to, to get together with, with the spirit of Shankly and, and to get together with the fan bases and the fan uh, societies and stuff and, 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 and really try and put pressure on, on your way for, to try and get things to change. Because as we've said it for years and years, if it does happen, there's no guarantee it's going to happen to Liverpool fans. It can happen to the Chelsea fans who are taking the piss. It can happen to the Tottenham fans or whoever else has been taking the piss. It can happen to anyone. So we're Liverpool lead the way when it comes to doing things for other clubs as well. So a bit of backing wouldn't help either, would it? Well, exactly. I think it's just, you know, a pathetic response from the French police after the game, you know, tear gassing them before the game, nowhere to be seen. And, you know, Saint-Denis is, it's not anywhere near Paris. It's so far outside. And the way the French have treated their immigrants over the years, you know, I don't want to get too far into it, but it's disgraceful. You know, they've pushed them into these, they call them bonlieus, massive ghettos of sky-rise towers. They've, basically been left to fend for themselves. It's really bad how they've been treated. So no one's, you know, they're left with very little option but to turn to crime anyway. And you're hosting a Champions League final now, you know, it takes a simple Google search. It's got the highest crime rates, not only in France, but in Europe, some of the highest crime rates in Saint-Denis. You know, it's just an accident when it's happening. You know, you're at the final in Kiev. I've heard many people say before the finals in Kiev and Madrid, there's plenty of warnings of which areas to avoid, you know, what to be careful of. None of this for Paris because it's rushed to host the Champions League final a clear lack of preparation, you know. I recall I went to the Stade de France a few years ago to watch an international rugby game and the walk from the train station to the grounds about half an hour, 45 minutes, you know, it's so far away. Just the worst policing of a major sporting event I've ever, you know, in my lifetime that I can recall. And there has to be, you know, something to come with this. Someone has to be held responsible and accountable for this. And, you know, they've got an Olympic Games in two years' time at the same stadium. Can they host that? Should they be allowed to host the Olympic Games? You know, they've got the Rugby World Cup as well next year. You know, I don't think France should be allowed to host these major sporting events after this because it's disgraceful. No, right. A boycott would be a thing. I mean, the thing is now they'll probably look at that and say, well, we can't do that again. We end up being the scapegoats, the guinea pigs for them trying to do better. Um, but it's right, absolutely disgusting. And 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 let's hope that um, that the people are brought to bear over it from UEFA and the Interior Ministry of, of, of France as well. Because absolutely disgusting um there are far more intelligent people than i who will uh, who will go on and pick up the fight of that and and and, and do a good job for us i know the spirits of shankly are a hell of an organization um and and they will be as we speak right now probably bringing people to bear over it all right look let's talk about matters on the pitch again and um and potential rumors of of outgoings and incomings as well charlotte mané will get onto the case with mané really because of all the players in the Liverpool team he is the one of course divock as well shame that he was injured because he boy oh boy wouldn't have been wouldn't it have been written in the stars for him to come on the last five minutes and do us a favor against real madrid he's done it so many times we owe that kid uh, that kid owes us absolutely nothing as a footballer he's been incredible he's a legend um and it was so heartbreaking to see him limp on at the end of the game with the Wolves because we'd have loved to have seen him get his just desserts from the fans there, wouldn't he? But um, he's gone. If Mane goes, then we've got we've got well, basically we've got three up front. So you know you normally need four or five, don't you? So where can you see 
Liverpool needing to strengthen. Pat's already mentioned a more forward-thinking, more dynamic midfield uh, thrust. But what about yourself? Where do you think it is? Because as Pat's already said, you might say in the paper they've spent £51 million on Haaland. That was a £190 million deal. Don't you worry. Um, we were never going to be anywhere near that player. So surely our backroom staff are looking into players. Who, 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 where do you think we need to strengthen? Um, I think Liverpool, I think the time has come for Liverpool to sign at a number nine, a striker. Um, obviously, we've got Firmino. He's not your typical number nine. He's not a box player. I love Firmino. And I think he... Like he, he he made us better when he came on in the Champions League final, more link-up play and maybe a case for him that he should have started. But um, he's been picking up more injuries this season and maybe all that running he's done in the past for for Jurgen Klopp is he's starting to show now. Um, but he's still he's still got a job in him. He can still he can still do it. Um, but do think. I think with Mane leaving, maybe it's time to go a different route and sign sign a number nine, a striker, a goal scorer. Um, someone who's got that killer instinct in the box. I know we've got we've got Jota, but um is he is he really at the level of, of a Haaland, that sort of player? Not sure. Um so yeah, Liverpool need a striker. Um I know there's been there's been links to Harry Kane and stuff like that, but I mean, let's be honest, it's not going to happen. Um, so I feel like the best. I mean, Haaland would have fit in great at Liverpool, but as you said, the the money in that deal was never going to happen. It was only it was only going to happen for Manchester City, PSG, Newcastle. But I mean, obviously, it wasn't going to happen there. Um, and Real Madrid, like it, it's not something Liverpool would do. Um, so I think. Best alternative to a Haaland is probably, from what we've seen, Darwin Nunes. And he is tall, strong, he's lightning quick. And we've we've seen him. We've we've seen him in the in Champions League quarterfinal, what he can do. He caused Van Dyke problems. And if you can cause Van Dyke problems, you can cause anyone problems. So I feel like he's attainable. He's definitely attainable. And he's at an age where he fits the bill. It fits the bill for a Liverpool signing because he'll come in at 22 years old and he'll just get better and better under Jurgen Klopp, as every attacker has done. You look at Mo Salah, come in, he didn't do anything at Chelsea, but then in Italy, he, he was good and now he's a world beater. So same with Manny, same hopefully with Diaz, same with Firmino. So, I mean, there's obviously speculation about Man United wanting Nunes too, um, but... Liverpool should blow them out of the water. Not in terms of finances, but why would you join United over Liverpool at this moment? Um, so I do feel like he's the one to go for. Um, you've got you've got the left side covered. You've got Diaz will be first choice there. Jota can do a job there. Um, and then you've got Carvalho coming in, who can... He, he's tipped to play across the front three. Obviously, you've got Salah. He's always going to score goals. He needs a rest this summer, but he's going to come back and he's going to score goals. Um, and then I do think that Liverpool do need they need a focal point up front. Poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, it's a good shout. Darwin Nunes, everyone's been looking at, haven't he? And he, and he, and he um, scored against us. Um, 
a very a clinical finisher, really, really skillful. I, I, I quite like the fact that we're not being mentioned too heavily with him at the moment, Man United are, because that's we've gone back to the old days, Liverpool, where we suddenly sign people and you wake up that morning and go, oh, God. Um, and that's very much the way we like to do work now. We're not splashed all over the papers with them. So you'd like to think, as Charlotte says, Patrick, I mean, if you've got two things on the table and you say, oh, United are a team who, who, who've just scrambled into the Europa League and look like they're years away from f- forming anything, or Liverpool, one of the most dynamic teams in world football, you'd have to hope the kid uses his common sense because I think that is someone that we will be looking for. There are players you can see that the Klopp likes. Jared Bowen, you can clearly see he's a Klopp kind of player. He's like a Derek Coyce, isn't he? His work rate uh, is phenomenal. He gets back. He lo- he's got all the things that the Klopp likes, but it's whether it, he, he, he wants to or whether the price would be right for a player like that. But that seems to be where we needed the most, isn't it? And as you said before, that that, that kind of dynamic box-to-box uh, midfielder who can uh, who can just bridge that gap between midfield and the front three, Pat. Yeah, exactly. Well, to answer the first question, you know, to play devil's advocate, the only reason I think he might join United is he's probably more likely to start there. Granted, they've got Ronaldo, but he can play out on the left, and I think that's probably where he'd slot in. You know, they've got Ten Hag in a rebuild project, but I don't understand why on earth you would join United. And yeah, I've been calling out for years. I'd love Liverpool to have an orthodox number nine, and Nunes is just absolutely perfect. You know, I've done a bit of a work on him recently. You know, six goals in ten Champions League games. You know, a couple against Liverpool in big games. You know, that's a big stage to score. On. He scored the goal that knocked out Ajax as well in Amsterdam as well. You know, which is a big, big goal to score because Ajax would tip for big things. Obviously, Ten Hag now has got the United job, and yeah, he's just the complete player. But looks of things already, he's only twenty-two as well. He's rapid. He's big. He's strong. Good in the air. He can also play across the front three, which is handy if we need to rotate. You know, let's say, God forbid, there were injuries, he could slot in out wide, obviously, and play relatively well out there. And yeah, I think he's the one that I definitely would want to see us go in for. There's been another talk of um, Victor Osimhen from Napoli, who looks a phenomenal player and, you know, almost is too quick for the way Napoli play. You know, I call um, James Horncastle saying on BT Sport once I flicked over for a Napoli game. And he runs too much for their team. They can't keep up with him. And that just sounds like perfect. But Napoli is so difficult to negotiate with. I don't think they'd take anything less than 100, 120 million. And we saw what happened with Koulibaly and he's still there. He's not been able to get his move away. But yeah, the uh, midfield one's an interesting one. Because obviously with Chiumani looking unlikely, Bellingham is no way leaving Dortmund. They're not going to sell Haaland and Bellingham this same season. Been talk of Christopher and Kunku from Leipzig. But he's now sort of transitioned into a striker. He's, you know, the one most Liverpool fans would like to see signed. But he's got the problem of he started the season in central midfield, moved out to the right. He's played the past six months up front. He's playing for France in the number 10 role. It's a good utility player to have within the squad. But I don't know where you'd start him in this Liverpool team is the problem with him. Um, but yeah, I think Nunes is the one that everyone wants to see. You know, sort of like 26 goals in 28 league games, a phenomenal, phenomenal record. And he's still young and just looks the perfect fit for Jurgen Klopp's team, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, I think the stumbling block, rightly so, is is whether or not he, he would get a game all the time. I think the other big stumbling block is that Liverpool still have a ceiling amount, isn't it? They have a ceiling amount in their heads that they're going to go to. And if if Darwin Nunes is going to get paid, you know, 100 million or 80 million, whatever it is, whatever the fee is, by United, and Liverpool say, well, we're not going to pay that, then he won't go and... There is a point where you have to look and say, unless you've got some real gems hidden in there that we can get cheap. I'm not an advocate for blowing 150 million on players. I never have been. But 
with Haaland coming, you can't see City getting any weaker, can you? Let's be honest. We are the only team in the league that gives any kind of chase to, to Man City. And the last thing you'd want is for them to start pulling away because they've they've got a striker who can score goals for fun. He also gets injured for fun as well. So it's a big deal. But um, yeah, Darwin Nunes seems to be the one for me that um, would be would play that traditional role and, and, and would fit really, really nicely into, uh, into the Liverpool team. Well, we shall see what's going to go on. I mean, we haven't even discussed Salah's contract. I mean, God knows what that's, what's going on with that. But um, lots to discuss for, for, for future podcasts. It's, it, the hard part is whether any of these players are going to get a rest, Charlie, because um, Andy Robertson's not going to World Cup, gutted for him, but also quite happy as a Liverpool fan. Um, Trent should retire from international football <laughs> um, because, quite frankly... You know, he's he's between a rock and a hard place, isn't he? You know what I mean? If he sings the National Anthem, Liverpool fans will slag him off. If he doesn't sing the National Anthem, the rest of the country slags him off. And you can be guaranteed the camera will go to him every single time now. Uh, tricky one, isn't it? But we want to try and get back to another season after a World Cup with a, with some fish legs and some some something still in the tank for us, don't we, Charlie? Yeah, we do. And, I mean, I read something that um, the World Cup should have been starting this Friday, I think, if it was, if it was going to be in the summer. So... You're kind of grateful that's not happening because the players of many of them have played a career high games this season. Especially like you look at someone like Van Dijk, who last season he got his knee snapped in half, and now what's he played about 57 games in all competitions for club and country. So if he was going through a summer with a World Cup, you're worrying, aren't you, about how he's going to come back next season? But it's just going to delay these fears because. Season's going to start early. I mean, Charity Shield starts is on 30th of July, so I mean, it's just obscene, isn't it, that 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 is in in July. Um, so then season starts a week early. All that, all that to come. Champions League, and then all of a sudden you've got a World Cup in in November. And what if Liverpool had have won the Champions League? You've got another game with the Super Cup, and then you've got the Club World Cup on top of that. Like, where does all that come into it? It's just the money in football now and what all the organisations want to do, there's no there's no let up for players. And luckily they've brought in this five sub rule now in the Premier League, but it's just like the season finished and then a few days later, after the Champions League final, they're playing this Nations League. And what even is the Nations League? It's just glorified, glorified friendlies. So there's no, it's just all about money. There's no, nothing on player welfare, nothing on, the quality, like eventually, the quality in the Premier League and leagues around the world, it's just going to dip because players are just like I didn't think the quality in the Champions League final were that good. To be honest, I didn't think it were it weren't a great match, it weren't a great spectacle to watch, um, and that's because it's Liverpool's sixty third game of the season, and I don't know how many games Real Madrid had played, but it'll have been in the fifties, I'm guessing. So. It's hard. It's it's like it's hard to keep going. Whether you you might feel fully fit and you might have be injury free and all that sort of thing, but are you really fully fit? Your legs will be tired and you'll tire quicker. You'll be mentally tired. So it's it's just I don't know. It's just be it's just getting silly, really, isn't it? And you can't. You, there's no end to it. You can't see it ever getting better. No, you can't because you, you you hit it briefly. It's profits, it's money. That's all you care about. I mean, the community shield, for God's sake, really. Why are we even bothering with that? It's for years. Why are we even bothering with that? It's an absolutely pointless exercise, other than 
other than profiteering. All right, listen, we're going to leave it at that. But just before we do, Pat, um, a little matter of a of a of a, a, a procession through the streets, Liverpool with both their cups, only half a million turned up. Uh, just ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, the sights, I must just say, just just yet again, Liverpool fans all over the world and Liverpool fans in this city and beyond, they're just phenomenal. They show the way. They embarrass other clubs. I mean, not other clubs we're talking about with their processions. I mean, the, the, the scenes in the strands and on that dock road, they're scenes the footballers will never forget. Jordan Henderson said it was the worst day of his life, turned into the best day of his life the next day. Because he, they were really down on the, uh, uh, down on themselves and gutted, and they've got to fly home with not winning that, and then hearing about all the stuff that's happened off people, and then to get on that bus and see their supporters love them that much and just show them that much respect and that much admiration and that much thanks for the season that they've given them. I mean, you'd be ten feet tall, wouldn't you? Who wouldn't want to play in a team? Who wouldn't wouldn't want to be part of a team like that? Pat, incredible support. Yeah, well, exactly. That. I was lucky enough to be part of the Echoes representation on the media bus. So, yeah, very, very lucky to be part of that. And it was just absolutely amazing because, you know, I can't imagine how the players would feel. Me as a supporter going, you know, I didn't really want to be there on the morning. I was thinking, oh, God, I don't know how this is going to be today. I don't know how the players are going to react. But it's just the exact thing they needed going into this international break, down the break before the new season. You know, amazing response. Streets absolutely filled and the scenes on the strand, you know, I was trying to film stuff and you could just see red smoke. You couldn't see a thing. It was amazing all the way down. And, you know, it's exactly what they need, Fitzy, isn't it? You know, brilliant way to end a brilliant season. We need to remember that they've been absolutely remarkable. And, you know, it's two goals away in two games from winning everything, basically. That's how close it came to. And, yeah, just words can't even describe how amazing the scenes were. You know, God knows what would happen if we went on and actually went on to win the treble or quadruple next season. Could it get any bigger? Yeah, incredible. I did wave at you a couple of times, but you blanked me. <laughs> um, now, listen, they've been incredible. And I've said this to, to, to in every podcast. I'm old enough to remember the times when we would win two, lose three, or win four, lose one when we need to. This team, this Klopp reign is is phenomenal. It's, it's, it's the golden era of Liverpool Football Club. And we have to embrace it and we have to hold it with both hands and we have to remember every single second of it because it doesn't last forever, you know, and games change and people change and players change. And um, we just have to just be be so thankful of what we've got and, 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 and cheer them on to another incredible season. Guys, thank you very, very much, Pat. Much appreciated, my friend. And uh, I'll see you again. And Charlotte, thank you very much. A great debut. You will be back in the squad, no doubt. Thank you very um, much. Yeah, thank you, Charlotte. Thanks, Pat. All right, that is it for um, this edition of Poetry in Motion. Uh, just keep your support with the incredible Reds. We've got another incredible season, no doubt ahead. People will come, people will go. Uh, we will always be Liverpool Football Club, and I'll see you on the next one. You've been listening to the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel.